Okay, we are on. Today I have Danielle Eisenberg with me. She is one of my dear friends and um, a female entrepreneur. And thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, let's jump right in to the good stuff. So um, I want to know about you. I want to know about the woman behind the success, how you grew up, what your family was like, um, lots of things. So go ahead. How did, so tell me about your childhood. Okay. Um, so I grew up, I think, in, in a lifestyle that was probably typical to a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people can identify with young parents who did everything that they could do to continue to grow their family's success. And what I mean by that is my parents started out with basic jobs, basic living conditions. They were young when they got married. They were young when they had their first child. And I mean like early twenties, I think my dad was 19. So we're talking young. And, um, and I think that, you know, they did what they could do to continue to raise a family, continue to get good jobs, continue to do what they needed to do to survive and, and, and eventually begin to thrive. And so it was my brother and me and my parents, there were just four of us. So a relatively small family. And, um, we moved quite a bit as I started to age, we moved quite a bit. I think starting maybe my going into my sophomore year of high school, we began to move a lot for my dad's job. Prior to that, we moved often. I think we moved into a new house every couple of years because that is what our life looked like. My parents got better jobs. They could afford a better house, you know, and we, they really, they really grew up while growing up their family. Okay. Um, so take me a little further to more current times about your husband and your, your family. Okay. So, um, I met my husband on one of those moves. Um, and my, <laughs> I turned in an application at a store. And so our entire relationship begins with big lots and I turned an application there. He was the front end supervisor. We'd never met each other ever, but I turned my application into him. He took it straight to his manager, promised his manager. I was a great friend of his and an amazing worker. I'd be a great employee. And of course he didn't know me at all. He got me hired, I suppose. And about two weeks later, he asked me out to dinner. We're in a, we were in a small town. We did the best we could do after closing the store one night at 10 o'clock, we went through a drive through went and ate our food at some of his friend's house. Um, and then, and that was the beginning of what is now nearly a 20 year relationship. And um, we have four children now. We have three biological boys back to back to back. They're all within two years of each other. And then we've got um, a daughter that we adopted almost two years ago. She's the same age as our oldest son. So they're non-biological twins. And um, we have, I mean, it's, it's kind of chaos. It's madness and mayhem at our house, um, but it's organized and it's awesome. And it's exactly what we didn't know we wanted. Um, and all while putting our, I think by the example that I saw being raised as a child, knowing that my parents could constantly trade in the old life for a new opportunity and continue to raise us during. Um, and they didn't have to be done just because they had us and we didn't have to just do with what we had. Like there was always an opportunity to seek. There was always something to follow. My, I am very much that way that has built the entrepreneur in me. My husband comes from a more traditional background, but with his love for constant education and constantly going back to school and my love for building we are constantly taking on the next thing growing our family at the same time and teaching our kids on a daily basis that it's not what you win or luck into but it's what you earn and and that's that's the life we're building so we have businesses separately and we have businesses together my husband and i and our kids are growing up in that and, um, and they're learning that verbiage and they're learning those principles and they're learning how to be optimists and 
at the same time that they're realists, but they're, they're learning to be optimistic and they're learning to, um, they're learning all the verbiage early on and they're learning what, what to expect in life. Um, even if I think they don't realize they're learning it. Those are such great tools for kids. Um, especially, you know, in my home, I say I'm raising adults and every, every thing I discuss with them that's out of the normal, you know, day stuff, you know, outside of how's your, you know, how's school going and all of that. It's very, very intentional. And they're seeing my hard work pay off because let's face it, they're reaping the benefits too. And they, they know um, the hours it takes and they know all the shuffling around and, and the hard work. So that's awesome. That's, I, I think if I could change one thing from my childhood, which is probably a few things I would change, but one <laughs> of the things would be that my parents would include me on important conversations. Not that I would have yeah. some input, but that I would at least be exposed to either real struggles or real solutions or how to manage money, you know, all of those things. And I think, you know, I know for me, I, I have those conversations with my kids all the time and I think it's only going to benefit them. I couldn't agree more. I think that we are very, um, we talk to our kids as if they're adults. We, they have extensive vocabularies. We explain what we're talking about. We explain what we're saying when I, have two or different things for work. My kids have been along with me for certain things. My, our oldest son, we've started asking him, like literally asking him to sit in on some conversations we have. Now he might be playing Roblox on his iPad or something, but, but he's present. And um, we treat them as if they're junior adults because we're responsible for who they turn into. Um, they become responsible for who they are at a certain point. But as of right now, we're responsible for how we equip them and for who they turn into, I believe. Um, and so, yes, so we, we are the same way. We are very, I'm very intentional. Like you said, the word intentional. I think that's so, so perfect. I'm very intentional what we talk about, but also what we don't. Um, I don't want my kids to hear, you know, let's say, let's say there's a conversation my husband and I are hashing around figures that have to do with money. I don't let my kids necessarily hear any kind of stress over money, different things like that, because I don't want them to grow up being afraid of it or believing it's bad or believing or having any kind of issue with the idea of money. Now we do commonly talk about things like um, what we didn't used to have, versus what we have and what we can do now and um, and how and how we have worked for everything we have and and we have very humble communication with our children but I try to let them I try to let them learn from us but also not become afraid because of us so I'm intentional about how we speak to them and I'm intentional about what we don't speak about in front of them too Right. I think, I think with my kids, I have, um, you know, I divorced several years ago. Well, it's been, I guess, eight, seven or eight years now. So things were a little bit different. You know, I was a single mom and, um, things were different for us. And so they saw how, what their life was like with me versus what their life was like with their father. Um, and I think that really, they saw, which I had, you know, a business separate from my full-time job prior to that, but they saw how that really came into play and how that meant that we still had a good Christmas. We still were able to go on vacation and I was doing it on my own. Um, I think that having, I was at, at that point, I had to make a decision. How much am I going to share with them? Because again, yeah. when I, when I grew up, we didn't talk about any of this stuff. None of it. I didn't know if my parents were happy in their marriage or unhappy. Right. I didn't know if my parents were drowning in debt or if they were rich. Um, right. I, 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 I didn't know. Um, so I, I really, 
I remember thinking my mother would not approve of me talking about this stuff with my children. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about all kinds of stuff. We had a situation in our family um, regarding one of my brothers that was very, very upsetting. And it was um, something that my son actually brought to my attention. He didn't know what happened, but he knew he was going to be here. They, they live, um, they live somewhere else. So I had to explain, I had, I had to make a decision. Am I going to tell him the truth or am I going to make up some bullshit that isn't true? Just so he isn't exposed to whatever this truth is. So I remember, I mean, I literally remember having that conscious thought in my head. Okay. I need to make a decision here. And I made the decision to tell him the truth. Now, it was a family secret because I didn't even get the full story until well after the initial conversation started because of shame or whatever. And my my mother didn't feel it, didn't want to talk about it, I guess. Yeah. Um. So it was really a, a, like a light bulb went off. And from that point forward, I was like, this is how I'm, this is what I'm doing. Because it is not doing them any good to not have the full story or the full picture. Now, I would never intentionally put stress on on them, Um, you know. But they do know that things cost money. Oh, absolutely. I'm paying. I'm paying for Noah's school. He's a junior at Western, and that is a you know pretty expensive deal, and. I have never said, you know, oh my gosh, this is so expensive. I've never complained to him about it, but I've been like, dude, I need you to get good grades because mama ain't made of money. You know yes. what your tuition is. Um, right. Exactly. I will pay for it if you do your part, you know, kind of one of those things. So on that, let me also include like what I, my kids, we have had to have a great deal of real and really hard conversations because you know my daughter is adopted so the entire nature of adoption starts with trauma it just does whatever age whatever point whatever however adoption is chosen adoption was birthed in trauma there is trauma in being removed whether that is you know just completely right from the birthing process to when she's eight as my daughter came to us So my kids are very, like I said, we're realists. They they understand how the real world works as much as they can at six, eight, and 10. (laughs) Um, But so we have those conversations, but what I don't allow my kids to hear, I don't want them to learn to be afraid of something because their takeaway from something was too stressful for them to process. I don't let them hear, my husband and I don't have to have, thankfully, screaming matches about finances anymore. (laughs) But there was a time in my life where there was a time early on in our marriage or different, different places in our marriage where that would have been a very tense conversation for them to overhear. I don't allow my kids to hear the things that could, could just really unsettle them. A version of their parents that uh, is, um, that would cause them to worry. But at the same time, we're very open. If, if they've overheard an argument, if they have a question about something that happened at school, if they've got a question about somebody's lifestyle, if they have, even if they don't, I feel like it's my job to front load and teach my children as much as possible to keep them as equipped as, as equipped as possible. So that way fear doesn't become a factor. Instead, they're able to make rational decisions based on knowledge gathered instead of being, instead of their next decision being dictated by the fear they're feeling. I want them to be able to know how to process what they're feeling. And yes, it's not a, it's not a problem to be afraid, but it's what we do with that. And I don't want them to develop, I don't want to teach them fear by the way that maybe my husband and I would maybe lack maturity on a, or, or growth on a certain subject. I think that's more what I probably meant to say because I completely agree with you about having the hard talks. Your kids are part of your family after all, so why shouldn't they be in on a family secret? 
Hmm. So, so the other thing we don't want to saddle them with is guilt. Absolutely not. And you know, that can if, also happen when we're placing too much stress on them in a situation. Right, right. I remember, so my, so I'm listening to a podcast now and the girl asked you to think of your first money, your first memory about money. Yes. And again, we didn't talk about money growing up. Um, but my first memory, and it's unfortunate, but my first memory <laughs> was when, so, so for, for school, my mom would, or my parents, I know my mom for sure. Um, she would take us at the end of the school year, she would take us, you know, beginning of summer to go pick out our clothes for the following school year. So we would go to Kmart okay. and pick our clothes and, you know, do the whole trying on bit and all of that. And then she would put them on layaway through the summer. And okay. then when school was about to start, um, she would go get our layaway out. Um, I don't even know if layaway is a thing still. So some people may not even know what that is, but well, she did that. Not a thing still. Is it gone? Yeah. Kmart's gone. I think the rest of Kmart got wiped out in the beginning of COVID. Oh man. But they were okay. already like half out of business. Struggling. And yeah. Sears had bought them. But I think the whole Kmart name is just gone. So when you said Kmart, I instantly had a I, I was flooded with memories myself and Kmart's <laughs> layaway is part of that process. Yes. Yeah. So she, she would go get our layaways out or take us to go get our layaway. And I remember her standing at the register, writing a check for, to get our layaway out, shaking her head. Like already. Yeah. Already having a problem with, how much that cost or how is she going to cover the remainder of that check or whatever? So I, I don't know because she didn't talk about it. But what I do know yeah. is it made me feel terrible. Yeah. It really, so that's my first exposure or first memory I have. And I don't know how old I was. I've, I'm guessing middle to late elementary school probably. Okay. But I, I remember feeling like <sighs> she doesn't want to do this. She really can't do this. Um, she doesn't want to buy me clothes. I'm costing her money, you sure. know, those, those thoughts. And so that's my first memory of first and maybe one of the only memories I have of money. I remember later on in life when the, uh, that's all different when you're, you know, a young adult and needing money from your parents, that <laughs> is a different story, but, um, <laughs> anyway, so I remember that and it was really, it was kind of traumatizing. And I promised myself I would never, ever, ever do that to my children. Yeah. I don't care yes. if I'm at the checkout somewhere and I'm like, holy shit, this costs $200 more than I expected it to you. Cause we're just out there shopping. Like, you know, money's not an object. <laughs> and I still, to this day, if I'm like, Oh well, yeah, I didn't really budget for that part. I do not flinch. Right. I smile. I go above and beyond and act a fool that later. I am to pay for this. Yes. Right. So, yes. Yes. I mean, we, we literally just had, you know, school started back. And so I had to take my son. Um, he started seventh grade. So he'll be 13 here soon. I took him school shopping while well, I was talking to him about that. And our older, uh, my older son, Noah, who's 21 turning 22 was at our house and we were talking about going shopping and he was kind of like, uh, mom. And he, he's moved out. So he's like, mom, uh, I, I need, I need some clothes too. Um, you know, kind of one of the whole broke college kid thing. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well let's make a big deal out of it. Let's go to dinner. Let's all go get, you know, whatever. So I ended up forking over a small fortune on him too. And I smiled the whole way. Cause I'm right. like, I am not going to make him feel like I felt. It's um, funny that's too. just not an option. Some tells me we could, you and I could swap stories on this kind of stuff all day long, but I think it's funny too, or not funny, but I think that it happens too. Let's put it that way. That kids nine or 10, you know, ish or late elementary school, like you said, watching your mom. And that's like the first memory of money that you have. I have a few of those myself. 
Um, ultimately, I'm very proud of the way I grew up because it built me for what life I've created now. But there are feelings that I, I know that I didn't want to pass along for my children, experiences and things. Because I think a lot of times kids and parents, parents do the best that they can. Okay. That's a whole different subject, but oftentimes parents are doing the very best that they can. And they did not mean to look like that. They, I'm sure your mom did not know that was going to stick with you your entire life. And you'd be talking about it to this day. Your mom probably doesn't even remember the day she wrote that check for a lady. Oh, I'm sure. sure. But you do. Because I think a lot of times kids translate that to love. Does my mom love me less? Or should I, I need to work really hard to keep these clothes really nice because it was already hard enough on my mom to buy them for me in the first place. And I don't want my mom to love me less if I ruin this. I think a kid doesn't know how kid doesn't know what stress is so a, a kid doesn't know how to process that negative facial expression of course like you said it was already not something that got talked about a lot in your household or things like that and so I always make sure that I'm covering my kids in every moment to the best of my ability with a feeling of love so that way they can't walk away remembering that later as mom didn't want to do that for me or mom didn't want to, you know, now I've, yeah, that's a whole different story. Now there are times we've got to draw a line, maybe having a conversation, make sure that things are being respected, et cetera. But that's not what you and I are talking about here at the moment. And I make sure that my kids can't walk away from things feeling like anything that they could process later to, does she love me less? Or will she let me less? That's good stuff, That's good girl, stuff. For, sure. for sure. So, so let's, move, let's forward move forward and tell and me tell about, about your um, your working life. So, as an adult, your your jobs. Okay, my jobs. I like how entrepreneurs just know to have add an S on the end of that. <laughs> It's not a job. We have jobs. We're usually yeah, right. we're usually dabbling in in additional things because I think when when you love to build something, and you're an opportunist, you see opportunities everywhere. And oh, yeah. and oftentimes when you're building something and you love to build, it offshoots into new loves and new opportunities. Um, you know, not to mention that. And I was talking to somebody about this not too long ago. We never question when a man, <laughs> let's go here real quick. We never question when a man has multiple forms of income or multiple investments. We never question that. Like, you know, that doesn't mean jobs to us. That means man, he has all that. Um, and I think when women have multiple jobs or multiple things or multiple forms of income, I think a lot of times people think, oh, are you overextending yourself? How are you doing all of that? So yes, jobs. Let's talk about my jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so <clears throat> currently, I am, my husband and I co-own healthcare clinics. My husband went to school for this exactly. And so he's living his dream through us having these healthcare clinics. I am living my dream through my love of building and my love of administration and my love of um, and my love of of um, pouring into people's lives and wanting to make things better, create better opportunities. So together, we own our healthcare clinics. Separately, I own a coaching company. Um, I own a, a company where. I focus on wellness for success. So working with people through times of um, transition, um, creating a better form of wellness for themselves that will create um, a smooth transition into full success. So oftentimes this clientele ends up being women I'm a woman. I think that we can relate to each other well. I don't exclusively work with women, but oftentimes it's women who are building a business who, or who want to be building a business, 
who are struggling with um, balance or guilt or shame or am I even allowed to do this? I'm a woman or they know they're allowed to. They don't even think that they're not allowed to, but they don't realize that everything that they learned as a child is now stopping them from doing things because they're questioning, are they allowed to? And they don't even know they're questioning. Um, or, or guilt of, can I do this and still be a good mom? Or, you know, is this appropriate for my role? Or just the stress of it. I, so, so oftentimes it ends up being women. However, I don't exclu exclusively coach women. Um, that's what I'm doing now. However, my entire career was birthed in a Mary Kay opportunity. I was, um, I joined Mary Kay 11 years ago and I was working full-time for a corporation then at a uh, traveling training, certified traveling training manager. I was a store manager. I held the model store. I hired and trained store managers. I hired and fired and trained whatever I needed to do my own staff. And I was be, looked at being promoted into a district management position, which then, you know, from there turns in from district management to regional management to, you know, so I was building my way up in, in a corporate ladder, loving and hating every minute of it. I loved the fact that I was being seen, I thought, um, and therefore I was one of some to be up for a promotion. You know, that's better than being not up for a promotion, but, um, but hating the fact of how overworked and underpaid and exhausted I was. And at that time in my fifth year of being at that company where I was only supposed to be one, cause I was just, again, I'm an opportunist. I saw an opportunity. I was going to take it as a stepping stone position, but there was an economic recession at that time. I couldn't find something that matched the benefits, couldn't match the pay, et cetera. And at and my life was quickly becoming determined by, I think, what a lot of people do, a, a job that pays the bills. And, um, and I guess I could make a lifestyle out of this, I was telling myself, because I am, however, being looked at for a promotion. That would have been that. At the time, I'd already maxed out my pay. I'd already maxed out my position if I never got the next promotion, and I wasn't 30 yet. Um, I was actually mid twenties. Um, I had maxed out my pay by the way, by my second to third year being there. Now I'm two years later and hadn't had a raise. In fact, they were going to restructure my pay to pay me less, um, because of cor corporate cutbacks and whatever. And, and I was supposed to be okay with that. So when all that was going on in my life, I was about, I don't know, six months pregnant with my first child. And um, Mary Kay Incorporated, the opportunity to start my own business in Mary Kay was pitched to me. I know that a lot of people are very pro-direct sales. I know that a lot of people can also be very put off in, and um, wary of direct sales. Um, but in my, in my case, I saw an opportunity. Again, I'm an opportunist. If nothing else, I could at least get a good discount on the product. That's how I started a business 11 years ago. What I quickly found was in my, I was working an average of 320 to 400 hours a week, or no, a month. So I was working 80 to 100 hours a month is how that, or, what am I trying to say to you, Jennifer? I was working <laughs> 80 to 100 hours a week. Okay, which would have come out to 320 to 400 hours a month. I was never taking a day off. I was working most days. I was working all day, would go home, take a nap, go back and close up at night, go back again at four o'clock in the morning and close up midnight. So very broken sleep, very busy schedule. I was pregnant. I'd been doing this now for five years, only meant to do it one. And I started matching my paychecks with Mary Kay in 15 hours a month. So we're talking very part-time work. I was matching my very full-time pay. So to me, it just, it was a no-brainer. At that point, it was no longer a question to me of could I make money? Because at first I, I laughed at the idea that I could match a salary pay in a direct sales position. Um, but then all of a sudden I realized I could. Now what else could I do? 
So then at that point, it didn't matter to me what anybody else thought, what anybody else felt, what anybody else wondered. I had a baby due in a company that wasn't going to care he existed. And that is how my entrepreneur, that's not where my entrepreneur spirit started. I started, I was raised in an entrepreneur home, but I, um, I was selling candy out of my parents' basement out of the Barbie cake when I was nine years old to the neighborhood kids because I knew I had something that they wanted and that they would pay for. So that was where, I, I mean, I can remember being that kind of a child, but this was my first opportunity as an adult to work for myself and it was terrifying and it was also exhilarating and my son was born we're in the hospital i'd been in my, in my business for three months but i had been working corporate for five years um i'm quickly weighing out the odds i'm holding my brand new baby he is tiny he is in a towel in the little hospital blanket he's not even gone back for a bath yet and I'm holding him and I'm, I'm weighing it out in my brain. And I looked up at my husband. I said, I think I'm going to quit my job. And he goes, okay. And I said, I think I'm going to work my Mary Kay business as a career. Like it's just dawning on me. And he goes, okay, I think we're going to need to talk about that. And I literally said, I think we just did. And that was that. I turned in my resignation. I never went back to work. I, I stayed I worked out my maternity leave. I never took a vacation, by the way, so I could stack up all this time to take off with my son. And uh, I turned in my letter and I resigned and I never went back. From the day I left on maternity leave, I never went back and that was that and that was 11 years ago. Wow. Wow. So now I, um, I work for myself and you know my husband and I own company. We have multiple clinics. We have a vision board that will open five more across the next year and a half. And um, of course, I have my coaching company. And yes, I'm still in Mary Kay. But as of August 1st, I retired it as I retired my leadership role. As a Mary Kay sales director, you're in the top 1% of the company. And I've spent a decade there loving every single minute of it. Um, but I I really, I really love to work in the space of an up and coming person or a person who's working out something for themselves. And, um, and, and so I retired my position where I would teach people how to run, start and run a Mary Kay business, because what I love to do is start and run businesses. Um, and I want time to write. I have a, a, I have a couple of book ideas that have been laid on my heart and on and I can't get them out of my brain. And I feel for the last couple of years that that I should have already started. And um, you know, when you're when when you've got something in inside you and it's itching at you, you you eventually have to surrender to it. And so I'm excited for what we have happening now. I'm excited for what's going to develop, like you said, jobs. <laughs> with an S plural. Yes, I do more than one thing and I love everything about it. So, so let's, let's back up, back a, little up bit a little bit with, with the, the Mary, Kay, Mary stuff. Kay stuff. Okay. So how do you feel like that helped you in what you're doing now? You spent lots of time there, okay. coached lots of people. Um, how did that kind of build for you for what you're moving towards now? Well, okay. So I will tell you that Mary Kay Ash, the woman who founded the Mary Kay company, whether you like the Mary Kay brand or you don't, she's, she is one of the greatest business women. She is that, that is an award that she was given. Her business plan is taught at top universities, Ivy league colleges. Um, what she created at a time when women didn't work for themselves, when women couldn't take out a loan without their husband or their dad's name on it. Um, the fact that she was raising children, she was single when she created along, along her lifetime, a couple different times created was creating a business plan while she was single, while she was working, she was working in sales her whole life because it was the one thing she found where she could be a mom at the same time that she worked hard and made enough money every single time. She, she was the best salesperson. She was 
but her, but the promotion, the team lead job was always given to a man. And she started to see that women need a better opportunity. So, so first of all, everything I learned, you know, and it's not unlikely that a, a, somebody else could be listening to this with a good or bad direct sales uh, situation. But I fully believe that situ situations are what we make of them and opportunities are what we make of them. And so somebody could be listening to this with a good or a bad direct sales situation. They could be in a different direct sales uh, company. And I will almost guarantee you that your company models the Mary Kay way because it is that taught the way that she's built a business, understanding that women needed a different opportunity for their families, understanding that she says there isn't a woman alive that if you put their faith in their family against their job, wouldn't pick their faith in family every single time, but they have to work. So she needed to create an opportunity for that. She did that in the 60s. Everything that the company teaches, it, it just holds life to such a high standard. And so that was the first thing that, that was for me about it. Here I was in that same situation. The, this company I was working for, pro, predominantly male run, did not care that my child was due. I remember when I sat on a panel of almost all men, and then there was me, and they were trying to come up with uniforms for the company. Everybody wanted khaki pants and blue shirts, khaki pants and blue shirts. Now, when we worked at this job, my old job, there were, I mean, hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. First of all, you're crawling around on the floor. You're changing. I work for a gas company, by the way. So you're changing hoses and filters on, on diesel and fuel gas pumps and whatnot. I had a really cool job, you can tell. Um, and anyway, hours upon hours, I'm in there by myself. I can't necessarily get to the bathroom. Again, I'm the only woman sitting on the panel of leaders. And my my number one moment, like, thing that I was pleading with them is, please do not choose khaki pants. Choose anything else, but don't ask your women to wear khaki pants knowing there could be hours upon hours between bathroom breaks. Of course, no one's thinking what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you've got women here on their menstrual cycles. They don't need to feel, but no man's thinking about a, a, a menstrual cycle. They're just thinking about, oh, khaki and blue looks good together. And you know, they still picked khaki <laughs> and blue because when I mentioned menstrual cycle and the practicalities of it, they all act like I just acted like I swore. They're like, <gasps> she said what? <laughs> um so, so anyway, I, I, it appealed to me that this was a company built by a woman who thought like a woman, who, who understood what it was like to need to make money, but to be, but needed to raise a child. And that's exactly where I was at that point in my life. So that was one of the most appealing things, unlimited income, no glass ceilings, no cap. I'd already maxed out my income. I'd already maxed out my position and I had a man looking above me for my next promotion. None of that was the ideal position to be sitting in as a 25 year old woman. Um, and so for me, everything who, every, every bit of who I am is shaped upon watching my parents fight for everything that they had and then sitting under the guidance and the counsel for 11 years of a woman run company, a woman owned company and a company who develops strong women and does it the morally and ethically way. Um, in Mary Kay, this is something I wanna say, you are taught to check first on the cosmetic and skincare brand that the woman is using. If she says Mary Kay, she is instantly off limits, instantly, because you would never steal your business from another businesswoman, ever. It is the most, it's like cheating on a woman or cheating on a man, on a, what am I trying to say? It's like cheating in a marriage. You do not, it is held that high. You do not mess with another Mary Kay woman's clientele. And you don't necessarily start out to steal from any other direct sales company's clientele either. Because those are women running businesses, putting dinner on their family's tables, taking care of their families, pouring their hearts and souls into what they do. And why be a threat to that? 
why not instead promote that? There are enough people out there. There are enough women out there. There are enough faces out there who need skincare and makeup. I don't need to take from another person. So everything about that has built who I am and how I run my companies now. Um, how I was as a Mary Kay sales director, how I trained my Mary Kay consultants, but now how I run my companies. Mary Kay's entire company was built on the golden rule. Do to others what you want done to you. And so that's exactly how I treat my employees now in my existing company. It's how I treat my clients, my business owners who hire me as their business coach. Everything about who I am came out of that decade of sitting under one of the world's most renowned businesswomen. And I only know this because of our relationship with yeah. you being my client as well. Yeah. Um, you employ mostly women. Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure that gives you an opportunity to impart to them um, what you've yes. learned and to treat them well. Yes. Now, should a man stumble upon your podcast or anybody else is listening to this, we don't have only women employees. In fact, we have a man soon to start and interviewing another man tomorrow. However, um, yes, currently our, our staff is overwhelmingly women in comparison to the men in our, in our company. And I think you get that kind of in healthcare anyway. Most your nurses, most your um, techs, most your medical assistants, most of them are women. Um, so, so some, it could be statistically that direction because of the field that our company is in. But yes, the fact that my husband and I co-own the company, the, the healthcare company together, I think brings well-rounded perspective. You know, he's, he's got the healthcare education, he's the provider, um, but, but I come from that, that deep-rooted, lift women up and realize that when you change the self-esteem of a woman, you're changing generations. And that's, that's the opportunity that I'm living for. If I can work with a woman and let her know that she is, she's important and make her feel worthy. She's already worthy, but if I can help her realize it and unlock that and, and work within the power of worthiness, then I don't really have to ever worry about her kids or her grandkids because she's going to already set the standard. So the awesome thing too, um, which my team is all women, and something I've told, told them in the past is, you know, I want to be the kind of boss I wish I had. Um, I have until I became self-employed full time, I have worked in a male dominant field my whole adult life. Um, and I did not have great bosses. Um, okay. They weren't bad bosses, but they weren't great either. And I certainly want to be the boss that my team needs. Um, and that's to lead by example. You know, Absolutely. my lifestyle is an open book to them. There's no secrets. There's no surprises. There's, there's just me and my, and I'm transparent with them. You know, obviously there's some things that they may not be privy to, but for the most part, we're, we're a close knit team. And I would have killed to have that in my journeys to this point. Yeah. Um, it's, I, you know, I think that's, that's my heart, which is, you know, part of this whole podcast that we're working on too is like I I want to build women up and share successes and failures in getting to this point and I'm still a work in progress and I think all of us are you know it's it's yeah. um it's it's the nature of it so um tell me what books you're reading right now okay so um I'm reading Oh, I, I was looking for it too, because I wanted to tell the author's name, but I don't see it sitting here on my desk. I am reading, I am my brand. Okay. That is something I'm reading right now. Um, I'm also, I'm working through a, um, a thoughtful question, um, writing journal, just to like 
create some fluidity in my thoughts and um, remember what it's like to just sit and write because it's been a long time since I've taken the time to actually do that. But of course, that's what I want to do. Um, so those are some of the, those are two that I'm like, those are actually two that I have like actual like page turners, like a tangible, tangible physical book within my hands. Cause a lot of what I, I do is I read on audible. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm also going through on audible. I'm going back through the Brene Brown series. The, oh, um, stuff. yes, the dare to lead. Um, I think that's actually the one I'm on right now. Um, so those are the three right now that I'm really devouring. Another is, um, so it's funny because I read based on what in the world's going on. Like, I don't know, like I'm building a brand, obviously. So I've got my brand book. I'm working on writing that goes along with my brand and who I am. Um, I'm also reading something called The Seven Switches to Success. Um, and that is actually written by a mentor of ours within health, the healthcare system. He created, he went from opening two healthcare clinics to 35 across a handful of years by what he, he describes are the seven switches. So I'm working on that. That's really what I'm modeling a lot of our clinical growth by. So, um, but I have passed that around. I had a couple copies of that. I've, I've passed that around to a couple different women entrepreneurs who I knew were building something beyond, um, beyond a one, a one store base. Like if they were going to be developing through people into more kind of not, not exactly franchising, but you know, a bit, if there was going to be more than one location or more than one of them, I've kind of passed that on because it's easy to mimic. Um, even though it was written by a healthcare professional for the healthcare world. So that's honestly, those are the four that I'm kind of devouring right now. Then I usually have a little bit of trash that I read too. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about this trash. What I kind of trash. Oh, I'm just rereading old series that I downloaded just because <laughs> you got to keep it easy somewhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I know I always, um, which I'm a big nerd and I always have, I think I have five books going right now. Yeah. And honestly, I could tell you the titles, but not the author. So I'm not even going to bother. But yeah. um, I, I don't get to read as often as I'd like to, but man, I love it. I love all yeah. the education, the free, free education, the cost of your, you know, $15 yeah. book. Yes. Um, but I know you read on your, your, um, iPad. A lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, I do. I have to have for business. I have to have a book cause I like to mark in it and I mm -hmm. like to flag things and yeah. share it with I my team. Keep, I kind of keep a notepad. Like if I start a book, an audible book, for instance, the Brene Brown books, it, if I, I kind of keep a notebook running, but if, um, if I really just have to have it, I'll go buy the tangible book. So that way I can use it to write in the margins and dog ear the pages and highlight and, you know, and that stuff. So that's what I'm doing with the brand book right now, because, because I feel like it's resonating the most with what I'm working on at the moment. Um, so yeah, there are some that I'll start out with on audible because they're good for in the car, passing the time, road trips, things like that, cleaning, just different tasks you have to do. Um, and then, um, but, but if I just can't stand it, then I'll go out and buy the hard copy so I can write in it. Yeah, I have, um, geez, probably 10 or 12 books sitting next to what I call, well, in my she shed, which is really our yeah. sunroom, right? <laughs> um, but I buy them so I can bring them to work and share them with with the team. So, um, so I have one more final question for you. Okay. Now this wasn't too long ago for you, in my opinion, but <laughs> what would you tell your 25 year old self knowing what you know today? Okay. So if I were talking to my own 25 year old self and I'm not just like talking to every 25 year old girl or woman out there, if I were really talking to myself, 
And I think a lot of us could probably say this, and that is, you're already doing it. You're already doing it. You know, I've always had this fire, just like my son, my second son, I say he has tigers in him. He's got, he's just, he's just, he's a lot. <laughs> and he's, but I, but you know, what it's like to have that fire burning where you know there's something else, there's something else, there's something else, there's something else. And I can get really stir crazy. I think if I would just look back at her, at me then, and say, you're already doing it. There's some peace that comes with that, knowing that when you're, when you're taking the next opportunity and the next opportunity and the next opportunity, as long as you're doing that, knowing that it's only a stepping stone, it's, it's a piece of who you are. It's an opportunity for you now. It's not forever but it is going to take you into new opportunities and into new situations. You're going to meet new people. As long as you keep that, that vision in front of you of, of what it is that that fire is burning for, then I was already doing it back then. That's, that's awesome. You know, and it's funny because looking back, so I guess I have an old voice, not my voice, but an old voice in my head that hearing you say that it's like, Oh, you're never going to be content. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to do whatever. But I, I know like in my journey, my professional career journey after between two to four years at a job, I was kind of like, okay, I can do this in my sleep moving on. Yeah. And that was irritating to some people. It's like, you can't hold a job. It's like, no, I could have held the first job I had if I, it kept my attention, but I accomplished, mastered and, you know, planted the flag and moved on And every single time I took a step, it was towards something better. Yes. Um, that's awesome. You're already doing it. You're already doing it. You know, we didn't talk about, <laughs> I talked about 11 years of Mary Kay. I talked about the fact that my husband and I own companies together and separately talked about my my um coaching company i didn't tell you where that's headed um i talked about the books that i'm gonna start writing i didn't tell you that i also went to cosmetology school i also went to insurance school i also wanted to be a garbage man at one point <laughs> my own car when i wrecked it by calling around junkyards haggling to get the best prices and coming home and fixing it um so so anyway, I didn't say any of that stuff, but the, but the truth is what you said is so, is so right. You can, you either choose to stay at a job, you can keep a job, anybody can keep a job, or you can look at every single thing as an opportunity to earn a wealth of knowledge in that category. And then you can roll them all together at one point. I can talk so many different shops <laughs> with so many different people. Because, because I'm, I have always been willing to do what I need to do today, knowing that I'm doing what I need to do to start tomorrow. That's, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, to be able to articulate that, that's so good. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's just a lot, you know, you're doing a lot. I'm doing a lot ambitious women are doing a lot and let's yeah. not even mention the fact that you have a a large family at home yeah you know I happen to know you're having your house completely remodeled right now yeah and I know all the excitement and cluster and all the stuff that comes with that right I started this out I think saying like we live in mayhem right now <laughs> but it's like it's like the good mayhem. It's mayhem I'm choosing instead of mayhem that I'm being presented. So there it's were towards, it's all for growth. Yeah, there were times when I had so much mayhem coming at me from every direction as a young couple, as a young married couple, couple trying to build a business while one's finishing school, while one's working for a company, while another one's at home nursing a baby and taking said baby with them everywhere on every business appointment. There was a lot of mayhem that was constantly coming at us then, but because we worked for that 
through that kind of mayhem. Now we're, we've chosen the mayhem that we have right now. I, I can handle living in a duplex, a two bedroom, one bathroom duplex with four kids, a husband, three dogs and four cats. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> While I live a mile from my office and um, at that duplex and five miles from my actual real home that like you said, is just gutted. I mean, it's just gutted. The basement steps are not attached to any portion of the house right now. Um, and, and knowing that over there I have chickens cause my son wanted chickens. I'm not, a, I was not a chicken person. I'm not a farmer, but man, I love those chickens just like any other pet now. So I'm going over there, taking care of them, answering phone calls in the meantime, running to this neck appointment. And I love it because we've created it. It's different when the mayhem in your life is something that you've chosen and created versus what's being thrown at you because you're just in the middle of, of that section of life. But you know, what is it to, to much is given much is earned, right? Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's constantly what I've told myself in the midst of it. And, and, and I said a little while ago, every situation is about perspective and what you make of it. And so right now, a lot of people could be freaking out in my position. There are some days I could freak out in my position, but ultimately I choose to be okay with it and laugh through it because I created it. I made this, this is mayhem that I chose and I can choose because of all the other times we chose to work through that at the time, hard mayhem. I think too, um, the point that you're at, the point that I'm at, it's like you're off the defense. Now you're Finally. on offense. Finally. You're the one imposing, yes. right? Yes. Like you're disrupting. <laughs> I know you, Danielle, you're disrupting lots of things. I'm disrupting <laughs> lots of things for the good. Things yeah. that need to be disrupted. But that's what happens when a woman digs her heels in, fights for what she wants, and moves forward. We're disruptors. And I know that about you. I know that about me. And it I really feel like it's a matter of going from defense, from having to, you know, stand there and shield yourself from all the shit flying to being the ones attacking. But I 100% agree. And, and in case anybody's waiting on permission, and hopefully you're not, when you are allowed to be a disruptor. That doesn't mean that you're aggressively rude. It doesn't mean that you're toxically aggressive. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. You are allowed to want something bigger, something greater, something deeper, something more meaningful, and allowed to run after that and be disruptive in that manner. You are allowed to do that. In addition, if you're going to want to run after that, the only way you're going to get to the place where you finally feel like you're calling the shots is by being willing to call the shots in the first place and say you're stepping out and doing something extra, something new, something what? Unstable, something not what everybody else is doing. You're doing what's right for you today. You're, you're following a gut instinct. You're doing something else. You've got to one, be willing to do that in the first place, and then two, be willing to be on the defensive for a while because it's going to happen. You're going to have to shield yourself for a while to get back to the place where you're, a, you're on the offensive again. I mean, I think it's part of putting the work in, right? Absolutely. Nothing, it's putting the work in. Whether it's direct sales, entrepreneurship, marriage, nothing is easy if you want the outcome to be good. And there right? will be pockets of time where it's easy and there will be pockets of time where it is not. And there will be pockets of time where you're questioning everything while reminding yourself that this isn't to stop now is not where what you even started for and and so it's okay to let the pockets of time ebb and flow as long as you recognize them for what they are and learn from them and learn from them let's not repeat the same thing over and over that's exhaustion but as long as you're learning from them, understand that they come and they go and they come and they go. And each time they come and go, 
it's different, it's easier, it's better, it's more successful, it's more freeing. And you have matured. The self-growth journey in the last 11 years, if I had none of the things I have right now, I would still be pleased with who I am because of what I was willing to learn from the process. That's, that's awesome. I don't know how many times I have said, I'm a better mother now. I'm a better wife now. I'm a better friend now. I'm a better person now than what I was back when I was in the box that I was told I needed to fit in. Yes. And I didn't have to forfeit any of my niceness, any of my kindness or any of my morals or any of my standards for any of the things that I have now. I am all the things while being a better, more mature version of myself. That's awesome. So um, will you come back so we can talk about more stuff at a later date? Yes, I would love to because I feel like there are so many things we scratched. Oh my God. Yeah. We could, we could talk like for I mean, hours. You didn't I know. know I wanted to be a garbage man. I did. <laughs> Says the pretty makeup girl. <laughs> This is so funny. Oh my gosh. All right. So if people want to find you on social media, um, your coaching business, Mary Kay, everything, where can they find you? So on social media, I'm um, on Facebook, which is the easiest way to probably get LinkedIn anywhere else would be Danielle Kerr. That's K-E-R-R Eisenberg. So three names, Danielle Kerr Eisenberg. Um, and on Instagram, you'll find me at um, you'll find me at Raising Gentlemen. You can find my website, which is um, Aquila Coaching Company. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you taking the time out to talk. Thank and you. Um, when we end this, I'm going to text you so we can schedule another time. Sounds good. I'm awesome. excited. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank talk you. to you soon. Bye.